welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. So today, I am super excited to talk with Amar. Can you share a little bit more about yourself, your name, uh, uh, your company, yeah. and what you do in the company? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for uh, for, for having me on. Uh, much uh, much um, you know excitement about uh, about being here and everything. So it's uh, it's cool to always see someone launch a uh, launch like a new podcast and whatnot. So I'm uh, I'm Amar Ghosh and I am the co-founder and CEO of ZenMade, which is a niche scheduling software for maid services, primarily in the U.S. But um, we've got uh, you know customers across the world, primarily in like the five you know major uh, English speaking countries. And yeah, we've been doing this since 2013 we've been um we've, we've always worked remotely although my initial co-founder and i were were living quite near to each other when we like first started um but uh yeah we've essentially been been remote since 2013 and we started building up the team in what 2015 or 2016 and you know have hired around around the world so yeah that's awesome can you tell me about the most exciting thing that you're working on these days most exciting thing that I'm working on these days. So, I mean, on a personal level, I think that we've finally gotten to the point where I am able to actually step away from the business day to day that we actually have like key kind of team members in every big position. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just beginning to think about like bigger and bigger things within the, uh, within the company and kind of like what's coming up next. And uh, yeah, it feels like all of the kind of work that we've done for seven or eight years now is finally really, really like paying dividends in, uh, in, in a lot of ways. That's awesome. Um, and a really big milestone. So congratulations on that. Can you walk through some of the key systems and processes that you had to put in place to be able to step away from some of the day-to-day operations? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think for, for that, it's going to really depend a lot on obviously on your business model. And so we have, you know, a software as a service. So everything in the business is really systems and process, um, which is, you know, obviously true at the core of every business, but there's, there's less, I feel like kind of human element to it, even though of course you're building up like the, um, the team, like the entire time. So essentially you know, the first hire that I made was on the support side. So that was where my co-founder was doing all of the product stuff. I was doing all the sales, support, marketing, pretty much everything customer facing. And so the first hire that we actually made was on, um, was yeah, it was essentially for, um, for support. And then from there, we began to hire like some operations people and stuff like that. Um, and eventually I brought on Chris, who's now our COO. He initially came on as like as a marketing intern and was one of the people that came in to essentially help me to, um, to put some process and systems in, in, in place specifically around like around the marketing. And he ended up pretty much taking over the entire rest of the team 
outside of product. And then I've personally handled marketing until like until recently. So I mean, like one example is uh, like a big challenge that I had was how do I or how, how do we keep the company continuing to create high quality content without me being the one driving that? And of course, you know, I'm the one who ran a maid service. I've spoken with something like five or, you know, 7,000 maid service owners, you know, on the phone or in person, you know, or like via email or whatever over the years. So of course, like I'm kind of the expert on the team. And so figuring out like a content system in place of where we could pull actual true industry expertise from that wouldn't be coming from me and then turning that into written content. That was actually one of the last pieces that we kind of put into place before I was finally like, okay, I can step away from the business for a couple of weeks at a time to really just focus on like the high level stuff. Okay, so I have several follow-up questions from what you just shared. Um, The first thing that I found really interesting, and I know this is common in a lot of, particularly in SaaS businesses, um, like you're in, is you mentioned like training up an intern and eventually getting to the point where you ended up promoting him to CRO. Um, Can you like walk through, like, you know, was that always on the radar to do something like that? And if not, like, what were some of the signals that you kind of realized, oh, this, you know, person on my team might make a really great operations manager or a great CRO? Yeah, so I think that's a really, really great question. So I don't want to speak too much for Chris's um, like specific um, kind of journey, because I think that was a bit unique, just given the history that if I kind of went into that, like with him, most people listening probably wouldn't be able to really um, to really like relate to that. But I do think that the approach that we sort of developed after that has played a part in a lot of our team members having similar stories. So essentially, what I will try to do is particularly if I'm hiring someone that's, you know, quote unquote, lower level. So let's say um, like a virtual assistant or someone that I'm just going to be paying hourly for, let's say $10 an hour, or maybe even like, you know, less than like $20 an hour. One of the things that I will do either during the hiring process or immediately after they're hired is I'll talk to them about essentially where they want to go, what sort of skills that they want to develop, whether that's within ZenMade or it's because it's just something they want to do like on their own or that they want to develop, you know, for like for future like career prospects or whatever. And so a great example of this is actually a girl named Ticha on our team who is from uh, from Serbia. And so we hired her for maybe three or four four dollars an hour to essentially help us with some of our operations stuff right that she just applied for like for part-time work and when we spoke with her about some of the things that she wanted to do we discovered that she was actually like very very sharp and much more like kind of mathematical I guess than um then I I guess like, you know, we would have really known just based on the job description, right? And so what ended up happening was we had a slot that opened up actually on our development team that she actually stepped into where she didn't have to know coding, but she had the opportunity to learn coding. And that was something that she had expressed interest in because she was like, this is essentially just an extension of like the math that I kind of like loved when I was a kid. And so she's now actually leading our quality assurance team And the only reason that that really came up is because we actually thought to ask that in the beginning and to try to discover, you know, what would make her what would make her experience working at ZenMade be like amazing 
beyond just like the money that we were going to pay her or like the job title that we were going to give her. And so we go out of our way to offer active like kind of growth opportunities for our team members, even if those things have nothing to do with their role, may not even be in their department. We're very open to giving our team that's already with us the chance to step into new roles and into new positions as they open up for us before we go outside of the company to try to fill those positions. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really great example. Um, it sounds like a lot of this has happened informally. Have you yes. done anything to kind of formalize like career paths or like, you know, suggest trajectories of how someone within the company can apply and, you know, grow into bigger roles within the team? So not really. I honestly, this is something that when I think about it, I feel like if I wasn't with the company and if Chris wasn't with the company, then that would probably very quickly get lost as like as part of the culture. Although I do think some of our other team members have seen kind of how effective it is. But I don't know that we've actually documented that kind of stuff. Uh, honestly, I think that it kind of came up it kind of came up organically for us because as we were starting and building the company, we couldn't afford to pay people, you know, oftentimes kind of what they could have gotten for other, from other companies or just we couldn't pay, you know, even like the medium range for a lot of the positions that we were trying to hire for. And so looking at like offering these sort of opportunities or offering training for people to get better at stuff, these were some of the value adds that we felt we had to figure out how to do in order to kind of attract the talent that like that we wanted yeah that's a really great point um I know you've kind of mentioned off recording how tight-knit your team is um what are some of the strategies you've used up to this point to kind of build camaraderie and foster like such a great team culture within such a global team so I think some of the stuff that um you know, that, that, that we've already touched on of just helping people to kind of reach their potential and stuff. I think that goes a really, really long way in terms of like lowering turnover and people just like really working with the team. So like we have very low turnover at Zenmate. And then when people leave, they oftentimes will actually give us two or four weeks notice, or they'll be like, hey, like I got like a better paying job here. I start then, but I'll be available like after hours to help with the transition. And we have very few people that just kind of walk out and like leave their team kind of uh, kind of in, in like in the lurch. And so showing that kind of care helps a lot. Um, also like, you know, we are like, we do get to know each other on like a personal level. So because working remotely, you don't have as much like water cooler talk or just kind of chit chats that happen around the office we have a couple of things that we do so there's some slack app that we use that um sends like one-on-one -on -one introductions to team members like randomly every single week and then kind of engages them in like in a personal like conversation that's designed to not be like about um about work so that has like really helped even though that's something that we've added in like recently but one of the other examples that i think helps a lot is um 
is we do on every single team call for Zenmade, and we have calls for every single department and then for the exec team. And then, of course, there are some like, you know, kind of smaller and more sporadic calls like throughout the week between various like team members is at the end of every call. We essentially have like a company policy of like asking a personal question. Right. So like one of the ones, you know, that was like that was recent was um, was like you have 24 hours to prepare for like a zombie apocalypse like who are you calling where are you going and like what's like what's your strategy right and then we have like you know six people that are on a call that i'll answer like answer this question something of like you know what's a song that just like takes you back to growing up or something like that and so we do some stuff like that now like that's the sort of thing that that's something that works really well for us because we already have a close knit, like a tight knit group. Right. And these are the things that kind of build on each other and compound on each other. Right. Like if you're listening to this and you have a team of 20 people and you guys have never done anything like this, if you just throw like this tactic into play, you're probably going to get like awkward answers or like, or whatever. And like, it's not going to like fix the culture overnight, but there's a lot of little things that we do like this um, that really do, you know, add up. They make a, big difference right um let's see what what else do we do um really anytime that we find out about team members having like some sort of personal event we'll usually like offer to um you know pay for dinner or like whatever right that like our head of support let us know that she was going to take like that she was going to be leaving early uh, because she was going to like an anniversary dinner with like with her with her partner. And so like for that, you know, we we offered to just we're just like, hey, just, you know, shoot, shoot us over the receipt or approximately how much it is. And like, well, we'll pay for it, you know, and you guys can just go and like have like have like a nice like a nice night. Um, when we asked one of those questions, we found out that two of the girls on our team uh, had never had tacos in their life. And so we sent them out like we found them tacos because they happened to be in like in the same area, actually in, in Serbia. So we actually found them like the best Mexican place like in Belgrade and sent them over to get tacos and then like paid for it. Right. It's like it's little things like that, but it's little things that really come naturally to me and particularly to Chris on my team that he's very, very like empathetic and like, and thoughtful like that. So it, you know, it's driven by the people in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's such a really, really like good idea. And also uh, I always forget that like, Oh, tacos are very much like a Western American Mexican yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, they they weren't even that impressed. They were they like came back and were like, eh, I don't really get it. And we're like, all right, we're gonna have to send you guys to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Hey, next team retreat. Yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned something about like just have some of like the like more like off-topic water cooler questions and meetings that's worked well for you. Speaking of kind of meetings in general, what is your like approach to like when did meet live versus using like async communication so um i I don't want to like really i guess like give out advice on this i can just share like what like what works for us um personally i don't really enjoy um enjoy meetings all that like all that much but i do think that like that they're useful so it's definitely developed over time and a lot of it has developed around my personal schedule because i've been traveling the world like since 2015 um that there were times when we just weren't having meetings and there are times when we are and now i've kind of realized that we have to have like a company sync in place no matter what my personal like availability is so what we have is we have 
uh, an exec call meeting, which is just with the executive team. And then each department will have, um, will have like a weekly call. And so most of those, I believe, happen on Mondays and Tuesdays that like, at least for me personally, 80 to 90% of my weekly calls fall on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then I'm usually pretty free like the rest of the week. And I believe it's, it's like that for the, for the rest of the, um, of the ZenMade team. And then beyond that, it's all asynchronous communication um, based on time zones. Everyone kind of knows who's available and like, and, and who's, um, who's not um, very, few things that does there need to be kind of live communication about and then of course there are times where it just makes more sense to just jump on a zoom call or, or whatever but by default we try to um to take care of everything asynchronously and meetings are really more to make sure everyone's pulling in the same direction that like i hear about some companies that go okay like if you have like a sales problem you bring it up on the sales meeting on Friday. And to me, that that just seems ridiculous. It's like, if you have a problem, put it into Slack and like, let's let's solve the problem, right? So um, we don't really delay like those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like we have enough meetings that everyone gets FaceTime and actually knows who else is on the team and is chatting with them and has like a feel for kind of, you know, who they are and how they interact and all of that stuff. But we try to let them just like get to work uh, and work on their own time in particular, because very few of our team members have required hours. So that's kind of our approach to meetings. Yeah. That sounds like a really like healthy balance between like where everyone in the team kind of knows the people who they're working with the most closely and probably everyone else in the company at some level. Um, but also like you can default to actually getting things done and you're not trapped in meetings for eight hours a day. Yeah, ex ex exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I know how most people feel about meetings, so we definitely try to keep ours to a um, to a minimum. I, I think that they're important. I don't think that we could remove many of the meetings that we have without losing like a, a like a big part of like of the team culture. But I think any more than what we have is pro probably un unnecessary. So I try to let people book them ad hoc. Yeah, it also sounds like some of your preferences um, and like necessities of being a digital nomad for several years kind of necessitated the need to work more asynchronously than maybe some companies would realize until later on. Would you yeah, say that's absolutely. accurate? Yeah, definitely. What I found was that um, particularly when we were smaller and I, and I was a much more involved in the day-to-day, the actual work that I would focus on would change depending on where I was in the world. So if I was in the United States and I was on the same time zone as a lot of my team members and as a lot of our customers. So I would end up doing a lot more customer facing work. That's when I do customer development, all of that. That's when I'd have a lot more meetings like with our team members and stuff. When I'd go to Asia, it was exactly like exactly the opposite. And so then at some point I realized that the entire company couldn't be changing the schedule based on where I was in the world. And so for example, when I'm in Asia, a lot of my, my meetings fall between like 10 PM and like maybe one or two in the morning. And that's just like a sacrifice that I have to make. It's a big reason that all my calls are stacked for like for Mondays and Tuesdays. So yeah, I mean, it was a limitation that I essentially imposed on myself at the beginning. And now it's something that I just think is better for the company. Yeah. Have you found any particular, you know, tools or tips that have really helped with collaborating asynchronously um, over the years? Um, 
Not really. Um, j- just because, I mean, Slack is obviously quite, quite helpful, but I, I just don't think like, I don't think that tools are like, are, are the answer. Like really it's just having clear communication, clear like process. Right. So we have it like pretty set where all discussion happens in Slack. And then if something like needs to get done, you could send the person like a message in Slack, but there's a good chance that they'll go, Hey, email me. Right. And like, Hey, email me essentially means, you know, I need a reminder for this tomorrow or the day after or whenever I can actually like get to it, but it's not really like about, about the tools. Um, we use a bunch of tools, right? But, you know, if any of the tools disappeared, we would just swap them out like for, for, for something like different. I mean, I think we use ClickUp and maybe Asana and like some other stuff like that. Uh, what's funny is that because the entire company is pretty much set up to address my personal weaknesses. I only have to interact in Slack and on email. And then like everything else in the company is taken, is taken care of by like the operations team. Right. So like, I don't know if we use ClickUp because if the team uses ClickUp, someone will message me and be like, Hey, Amar, did you get this done? And I say, yes. And they'll go into ClickUp and we'll like mark it as done. But like, I don't even have the ClickUp login. You said something really interesting there that I feel like um, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper in, which is um, you've structured a lot of the operations to address your weaknesses. Um, And that's like a really self-aware like move from like a leader or a CEO um, and founder. Like how did you kind of come to that conclusion and what steps were you putting in place to make sure that the company is running well, even on things that you're not so great at? Yeah, definitely. So what's kind of funny is anything that I'm not good at, I actually have like a much higher standard for essentially systems and process, right? Which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. But with marketing, marketing was the absolute last thing that I hired for because I was personally taking care of it, right? So I was like, I don't want to document all of these things. Like I hate documenting things. Like why do I need to do that? Right. And so, um, and so because of that now, like I said, you know, hiring, hiring Chris, um, you know, is one of the really big things that he addresses. Like he personally addresses quite a few of like of my weaknesses, but he's also very systems and process oriented. So when I identify like, Hey guys, I'm really struggling with this. I can usually tell the team and someone will volunteer to handle whatever, like whatever it might be. So for a while, I was really struggling to kind of get our, our, um, our like kind of numbers guy, all of the numbers that we needed. And so at some point I just recorded, like essentially took like a zoom recording and just followed the entire process that I would like do, which I hated every single minute of it, but I didn't even have to verbalize what I was doing. I sent that over to Chris and was just like, I never want to do this again. And he was like, okay, cool. And the next week, you know, I get a spreadsheet that has all of the numbers. And of course, like, it's not always that simple that oftentimes we have to have like a couple feedback loops and like, and stuff like that. But um, I mean, really to, to answer, to answer your question, like my, my life motto is essentially, I really like getting things done, but I hate doing things. Right. So I'm like one of those like lazy people who still wants to actually accomplish things. And so whenever I identify something that I really don't want to do in the company, the immediate goal is how do I get this done without ever having to do it again? Right. And that's kind of my thinking on everything, because I think that if you do that 
over a long enough period of time, you're going to build an amazing business, even if it's not like the most profitable, it's going to be a business that can make you like very free in whatever that, that means like to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what were maybe the books and or podcast um, that have had the biggest impact on you as a leader and as a founder? Okay, so that's um, that, that's a good question. So the the first the first one that comes to mind is Principles by Ray Dalio, which is essentially talking about um, about like documenting pretty much all of like the decisions that you're making in your business and in your life. And I think reading that book was really what emphasized to me of like, okay, Amar, you actually do follow all these systems and processes. You just don't think about them that way because you're kind of doing them all in your head. So like that really shifted kind of how I was building the business and turning it into something resilient that could survive, you know, without me, right. Which has taken a while to get to. On a similar note, there's like work the system, uh, I think by Sam Carpenter, maybe or something. But honestly, like that, that one's uh, pretty repetitive and m- might have just been like, a, you know, the right book for the right time for me uh, in terms of like leadership and stuff. Not not really sure, actually. Um yeah, I mean, I, I think Principles is really the one that, like, if anyone is listening to this and you haven't read or listened to Principles, like, on Audible or whatever, I would say go and go and do that, because that, that's the kind of book that I would recommend to my mom, who's not even an entrepreneur, and it's a book that I would recommend to all of, like, my entrepreneur friends, right? It's one of those that's, like, that good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And shifting gears a little bit, uh, do you think that introverts or ex extroverts make better leaders and if so like which why why so that's I don't want to like avoid the question here but that's actually one that like I don't think that it matters because I think that if someone is listening to this then like you're either an introvert or an extrovert and you don't have any control over that right and so I don't want to say like oh extroverts are better because xyz because then introverts will feel you know, like inferior or like less than or whatever. Like, I think that introverts and extroverts can both be effective leaders, but you do have to have a level of self-awareness and figure out what, like what your strengths are, right? So like the main thing that I would say is that if you're listening to this and you're already a leader or you want to be a leader and you're introverted, you probably want to hire an extroverted number two. And that doesn't have to happen like now, right? It took me, I think, four years before I brought Chris on, right? And before we really started turning it like into like into a real company. And then of course, on the flip side, um like i'm much more extroverted than like than 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 chris is but chris is also much more like empathetic and so i really think that it's more about kind of balancing out um like kind of who you are and addressing like your weaknesses and kind of emphasizing uh, your strengths. Because like the, the other thing is that a lot of people think that introverts can't be like charismatic or outgoing or social. And like really an introvert just means that they need like time to their, to themselves to like to recharge. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like any, anyone can, can be a leader if you're willing to like to do the work and you're self-aware enough to kind of focus on your strengths and not like ignore your weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some, like, what are some ways that you're kind of cultivating like leadership and autonomy among members of the Zenmate team? 
Oh, so that that's actually a really easy one. This is uh, this is something that um, that uh, any anyone can do that can train up your team to um, to essentially like level themselves up is essentially stop making decisions for your team. Like don't allow your team to come to you with like questions about decisions in the company. Instead, train them to come to you with their decision on whatever it is for you to essentially approve. Right. So like I still will make a lot of the decisions or have the approval on a lot of decisions. But now, like my executive team, for example, will say, hey, we have this opportunity, um, you know, for like this, I don't know, like new feature or for this new like marketing program. I think that we should do it because X, Y and Z. Like, what do you think? Right. And so I force them to actually verbalize what's the decision that they would make if like if I weren't around to um, to make the call. And then it makes it easy for me to essentially check like their logic and to point out like, OK, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? A lot of people, their teams are never their teams never learn to make decisions on their own because all decisions go like go through the boss. Right. And so then I've trained my like top level team to do that with everyone that are like direct reports to them. And so now we have, you know, lots of people on the team that are actually making decisions. And so with that, not everything has to go through like the top level managers. But we want to see that until we see someone making like what we consider to be like the right decisions over and over again. Right. And that once we see that pattern, it's like, okay, you can just start making these decisions on your own. You can pull the trigger on them and just let us know after you've made them. And if we see something that's like, oh, we shouldn't do that, then like we'll come back and go, hey, can we like can we reverse this or whatever? That's such a really, that's such a great point and something that I feel like a lot of in particular new managers don't fully grasp right away. Kind of a follow on to that is, what's your approach when you have a direct report or maybe someone on your exec team comes to you with an idea and you, and it's well thought out, but like it's something you disagree with and you think might not work. When do you kind of try to get them to change their idea versus when do you let them kind of roll with it and maybe experience a setback or failure so that they can learn and grow? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you, you always have to ask yourself kind of what's the worst case scenario, right? That you can't, you can't like take something that could actually put the company out of business and use it as like a learning opportunity uh, for like for, for your team, right? So, of course, like there's the severity kind of of like of the thing, Um when I'm in that situation, there are some times where I'll just be like, look, like we're not doing that. Like I can, I can explain why, or this is just something that just like, I just, I don't, I don't want to do, you know? And like, that's, that's kind of it. Right. And I do try to like make it clear of like, Hey, you know, like I realize this might be a double standard and that someone else on the team might need to provide reasoning in this case. Like I don't, but like, I, I do try to essentially go like, Hey, this is kind of a privileged call that like that I, I get to like to sort of make. But then like the other thing is oftentimes it'll be more something along the lines of, Hey, like, you know, have you considered this? Have you considered like that? Or like, what happens in this case? Can you talk me through the best case scenario? Can you talk me through the worst case scenario? And so oftentimes, like I will try to point out or play devil's advocate or or even just be like, okay, here's why I think this is a bad idea. And I'll lay it on the table so we can have like have a discussion. I do always try to make it clear at the beginning whose call it effectively is, right? And I think that's really important is like, I'll be like, look, okay, let's have a conversation about this, but I'm telling you up front that like, I'm making the decision right now 
that like we're not going to do this, but I still want to hear why you think like it's it's a good idea, and there's a very small chance that I'll like change my mind, or I'll I'll sit here and say um, like okay Heather like this is still your call. I don't think that this is a good idea and I'm going to explain to you like why, but ultimately at the end of the day, whatever you decide to do here, I will fully like fully buy into. And I think that's actually a big thing is like, I think it's from uh, Jeff Bezos of like the, um, the disagree and commit. That's something that I definitely try to do that. I always try to make it clear of like, look, I'm 100% behind you. Even if I don't think that this is like the right thing to do, I'll make sure you have the resources to kind of like to make this happen. So that's definitely um, one of the things. And then just as like a quick example there, I had a couple of team members that decided that Salesforce was the answer for like our CRM system. And in a past life, I was like a Salesforce admin that I, I would do like all the cleanup for like for a sales team before I actually uh, like joined the sales team and became like an account, like an account executive there or whatever. And I knew for a fact, like without a shadow of a doubt that Salesforce was the absolute worst possible idea for us for so many different reasons. And the team was quite insistent. And at that point I was like, look, it's your tool. You guys are the one using it. I'm not going to log in. I'm not going to do this. Like if you want to move forward with this, I have voiced all of my concerns. It's your, it's your decision. And so they signed the contract for that, which was like an annual contract. It cost us, I think, like high high three figures, right? So like I think it was like $800, $900 or something because we were on like one of the smallest plans. And within, I don't know, 60 days or something, I had a message from like the three team members in a group chat with like an apology and like, you know, this wasn't the right thing. We've wasted like, you know, 700 of your dollars or like or whatever. And my response to that was like, guys, like, it's completely fine. Like, the reason that I let you move forward with this is because I was comfortable losing that that money. Like, I'm very much enjoying, like, telling you I told you so. But, like, you know, there there's absolutely, like, nothing wrong here, you know, with us paying this money to essentially learn, like, learn this lesson. And so, um, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of it really does come down to communication, that however we actually um we actually kind of move forward with this things i feel like the team always kind of knows like where they stand and everything and they feel supported in one way like or another e even if it's me just telling it like it is and just being like hey like as the ceo we're just not doing this like i'm not justifying it any like any further than there but a, a lot of people will will just like they like they won't acknowledge that you know that's such a great point um and if you could go back to when you first started ZenMade, I think you mentioned in 2013, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself now? One piece of advice that I would tell myself now, um, probably just to be like, keep experimenting. I think that we did that, but I don't think that I really realized what we were doing until like quite late. And I feel like if I'd had that sort of mentality early on that, you know, you, you'd mentioned in, in like in the last question of, you know, what happens if the team comes to me with something that I don't think is going to work? If there's one thing that I've learned since the start of the company, it's that we have absolutely no idea what's going to work. Right. So I will very rarely shoot down an idea that's like an experiment. Right. Um, because uh, be, because you just you, you never know what's really going to move the needle and the number of things that we were certain were going to move the needle that then end up not. 
um, has also been like quite high and not in a bad way. Right. It's just it's just made me realize that we just need to try more things and to just keep trying things until we find what works and then to double down there. That's such a great point about being willing to experiment and realizing that you don't really totally know what's going to work and what isn't. Um, I could dive into this uh, for like hours, but before we wrap up, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Go for it. Um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it on? Ooh, uh, probably on SaaS marketing, I would say. Uh, I would I would probably pretty much on what we were just talking about is I would probably write a book that would just kind of run through all of the different kind of experiments that I would try on the marketing side if I had a new software company and then kind of what to do based like based on those on those results. Good answer. And if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? Any historical figure. Ooh. That's a hard one. Okay, I'm going to pick a niche one here. Uh, there's this guy, Samuel Zamuri. Uh, he's from uh, this, this book, the, um, uh, the Fish That Ate the Whale. And he's just like, he was, he was this immigrant from like the 1920s who'd immigrated from somewhere in like Central Europe. And he essentially went from selling bananas off the back of like a train car to, um, to like performing a hostile takeover and overtaking like the uh, the biggest fruit syndicate in like in the entire world that was valued at like two billion dollars or something when he started and just this absolutely like epic tale of like you know like just just hard work unbelievable hustle like immigrant um he's someone that i don't think that many people know about and uh yeah if i had the chance to sit down and just talk to him about all the things that uh that that he did i would i would probably pick pick that that's the first one that comes to mind i'm sure if i had more time to think about it i'd choose someone else but uh, that's a cool one if you haven't read that book i i highly highly recommend it yeah i definitely haven't read that book and that sounds like a really fun uh <laughs> uh story um so it's been great chatting with you. Where can listeners find you online? So the two places would be my personal website, which is uh, theamericandream.com. So like the American dream, but A-M-A-R instead of A-M-E-R. And then uh, my Twitter is actually where I share most of my thoughts on like a day-to-day -day basis, which is um, it's just Amar. So I-T-S-J-U-S-T-A-M-A-R. And uh, yeah, drop me a dm there or whatever uh but that's probably where i share share the most of all like of all social media awesome well it's been really great chatting with you yeah thanks so much for having me this has been really fun thank you for listening to the remote work drive podcast please visit our site theremoteworkdrive.com to learn more about remote work trends and insights 